Mark My Words shares Mark Homer's contrarian views on investing, business, finance, economics, and all things money. Mark interviews the world's most successful business, finance, and money experts, as well as imparting his knowledge in a factual, direct, and no-nonsense manner. Welcome to Mark My Words, and here is your host, Mark Homer. Okay, so I've just finished our big project, 126,000 square foot. We've reached practical completion, um, 100 apartments uh, with a supermarket on the ground floor. Uh, that site is now generating over a million pounds a year. Uh, it's over 85% full. Um, and we are in the process of refinancing it with a bank. Um, quite a, an involved process. 187-page facility agreement. I sat on a uh, – we, we have a, a weekly uh, conditions precedent call on um, teams – um, and the last one I was on had 13 people from the bank and the two solicitors uh, dealing with all the various elements to the, the refinance. Is that quite a big group of people or in terms of the project? Well, normally, normally you, you, might, you might have two solicitors that you would deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so it's a, is that a milestone in the project? What, refinancing it? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, yeah. Okay. Getting off 60, 70 grand yeah, okay. a month, yeah. Um, so how far are you off finishing this, being tidied away, ready to never touch it again? So the, the, the internals are pretty much done um, and the the elevations are just being finished off. So I expect they'll be off site now and gone within the next couple of weeks. Um, so what's next? Like, Have you already got any ideas of what the next project is or is it all under wraps or anything you can say? So at the moment, um, we are... <clears throat> cracking into our next project called Scape, which is uh, in the city centre um, on the, the the ring road at the end of Bridge Street. Uh, we've got a 60-metre crane going over it. Um, steel is being craned into position currently um, and um, dry linings being set out, um, all, all, the, well, all the demolitions finished. Um, and... Um, we're just finishing the uh, the final sort of calculations and approvals off with uh, building regulations and, and the fire authority for um, AOVs and uh, smoke shafts. Okay. So looking back at your um, this Bridge Street project, um, is there any like top level lessons that you've learned or anything you're going to take into the next one? You know, like it could be personal, it could be financial, you know, give yourself more time off. To, to do justice to a project or, you know, a different way of financing or something like that? I think the key with any big project is to have enough margin, enough profit in it uh, in order for you to, 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 to be able to make it work. It is inevitable that you're going to have challenges. Costs are going to increase. Subcontractors are going to go bust. Um, the, you know, the, the, there are going to be things that change along the way. So, you know, for me... Uh, you know, I, I'd require at least thirty percent profit, um, and that would probably be on GDV uh, in in any project. Um, thankfully, we managed to engineer that in um, on that big site, um, just because of how m- how many extra units we added to it. Um, but um, I wouldn't be interested in entering projects with with any less than that sort of profitability. Okay, so. More from a more generic point of view from the property industry or yep. anything from the commercial conversions you're doing, anything that's like you're aware of, any laws or anything like in the industries that's changing or anything like that that people might need to be aware of? So there's been massive change in um, the, the, the construction of residential um, blocks um, especially. Uh, obviously, we had Grenfell. There's a load of um, new legislation around... Um, there's a load of new legislation around wall build-ups, around cladding, um, and really they're just enforcing uh, the building regulations that in some part weren't being enforced previously. So there's massive change there and everyone's a lot more focused on making sure that buildings are compliant, fire breaks are installed, um, and the big one that has changed um, as of the early part of this year Buildings over 11 metres, which is about three or four storeys, um, now need to be sprinkled throughout. Um, so if you started prior to that, as we did on this latest one, um, you, um, 
if you started after that, you, you you need sprinklers, and obviously not before. I think we got in just before, but um, we're sprinkling all the residential areas anyway because of some of the travel distances are quite long. So sprinklering is the way of sort of dealing with that. Um, on top of that, um, the the testing um, and all of the um, making sure that all the fire safety um, detection and suppression equipment in the building. Um, is um, compliant, is being watched a lot more carefully. Uh, there's a fire safety bill uh, making its way through uh, and it's going to be a lot more specific uh, around which individuals are, are, are responsible and the, the process for following uh, to ensure that the fire risk assessment is uh, conducted and, and its uh, recommendations are, are followed along with the, um, the fire strategy for the building. So the sprinklers, you don't necessarily have to do that, do you? for this current yeah. project? We don't, no. But you've decided to? Well, actually, we do, yeah. So, yeah, we do because of the travel distances. Okay. But okay, cool. if if the corridors weren't that long, yeah. we wouldn't. Okay. Cool. Yeah, but if we'd started today, yeah, it doesn't would. matter how long the corridors are, anything over 11 metres to the top floor deck mm. has to be fully sprinkled now. Is that expensive to do? Well, yeah, I think it's costing. Actually, you know, I didn't think it was... It's probably 25 grand. Yeah. So I, I thought it was going to be worse than that. It's still a cost yeah. that people should be aware of if they're going into it. It's a cost and also the, um, the you know, it's, it's false activations, isn't it? And and, and it, it, it spraying a load of water all over the place. Moving on to the Boris Johnson stuff. So <coughs> Boris Johnson to announce all new homes and offices must have electric vehicle charging points. How do you think this will affect housing prices? Uh, I think it'll do absolutely nothing to house prices. Um, it's a little bit like when EPCs came along. Yes, you give the purchaser... Um, the EPC before they they buy the property, and you know maybe it sort of makes them think about what windows there are and how much insulation and what the the, the quality of the boiler is. But generally, it does absolutely nothing to the the value uh, of a property. You know, pe- people still seem to pay the similar amounts regardless. Uh, they're more interested generally in the overall condition. Uh, of the property and you know how much they need to spend in terms of refurb to get it to a sort of nice habitable condition um, if anything at all um, yeah so I, I think electric vehicle charging points um, won't have any value whatsoever I mean if you've got a house um, you could probably put one in for five seven hundred quid anyway so what's the difference so it's not really a topic you're particularly interested in reading about or keeping up to date on because it doesn't it won't affect things too much really I don't. Think, I can't see how it does affect me. Mm-hmm. No, I'm doing apartment buildings in the city centre. That's true. Um, I did read that this includes apartment buildings, but mm. I can't see how they enforce uh, electric vehicle charging points on a city centre building without a car park. Yeah. Um, Cables everywhere. How, well, where did the cable go? Where do yeah. people park to charge? Because yeah. there's no parking. Okay, so um, um, this will be read by people who are doing all sorts of conversions or whatever, but. Um, it's something that they need houses. to Houses. Yeah. A lot of it will be houses. Yeah. Um, I don't know how the hell he enforces it in an apartment building. Um, maybe he makes you, in the car park, have <laughs> all these... Um, posts and things. Posts, yeah. yeah. But um, All right, we'll touch on that in a few weeks, I guess, yeah. if, it, if something does come They're going to need to do it, because apparently by 2030, mm-hmm. um, all new petrol and diesel cars will be banned, and they're going to be electric only, or... Apparently, we'll see what happens about that. Well, I'm not sure the charging infrastructure is there yet. No, and we're now nine years away. Um, <laughs> yeah, they'll miss that. And sure. they haven't they haven't got the electricity mm. to support that. So explain that. Oh, I that. see. Right, so it's not even that the people can't charge their cars; it's that they no. literally will not be able to charge their cars. No, interesting. Okay, not property. They but need, very they, interesting. They need to build more power stations, yeah. and they haven't got them. They're talking about these small nuclear ones, but which might be great, but how many years away are they? Um, do you know, but I don't know anything about this heat pump cost. Do you know anything about that? Yes. Okay, go for it. So heat pumps in residential properties, as they stand at the moment, are generally not a good thing. Um, on houses that we've been looking at, the, the, the rough cost of insulation might be about 15000 something like that. 
um, you know, as soon as the temperature goes below a certain level, let's say three, four degrees, if the building is not got a, a good standard of air tightness, i.e. it's not a, a new property, um, they become ineffective uh, and then you're back to electric. Um, so these heat pumps are sort of, when you see those air conditioning condensing units, those Toshiba units outside uh, of properties, it, it, it's one of those um, that goes in reverse effectively, uses um, the, the, the gas that you would get in a, a, in a, an air conditioning um, system um, and then uh, you know, takes what heat there is in the atmosphere and then and then puts puts it into into the property. Um, so high cost uh, for insulation probably won't bring your bills down. Um, certainly not by the amount you're going to spend. Uh, I'm not sure they're that efficient. Um, the technology me- needs to move on. I'm I I don't really get where this is all going because gas is banned now in in new properties. Um, so. This is your option, other than you know, sort of electric. I know they're talking about hydrogen and pumping that through the all the gas pipes, but it's not here yet. Um, so there's all these properties that are being forced down the heat pump route, um, and they're getting uh, a heating system that um, I don't think is very good. Wow, I didn't know that gas was going to be. Well, Already is. It's banned. Really? Yeah. Wow. When was that put in? Mm, I think it was this year. Oh wow, that's going to shake things up, or probably already has. has. Yeah. Oh, all the all the designs you started a year ago. Has that affected any of your stuff? No, because we were all in. Well, it's all electric, so it right. doesn't matter. Right. But we'd have been in time. Mm. But because uh, it's it's when the initial building regulations notice goes in. Right. A bit like that eleven meter rule. Yeah. And for us on those, I got them in a, a year or two ago. But the um. Everything, everything that's going up now is mm. oh, well, these heat pumps. I mean, that's the kind of like useful information that people read these blogs for, basically. Like you know, little snippets that you're hyper aware of that <laughs> yeah. people might never have heard of. You know, but um, off the top of your head, is there any other little tidbits like that of laws that are coming in, or you know, something that you've experienced that will change the way buildings well, are put up? EPC uh, yeah. when they first started. Um, I, you know, started introducing them, you know, you sort of had to get an EPC to sell it, but there was no, it was inconsequential. It didn't really matter what the EPC was. And, you know, I was a little bit suspicious at the time, but I just sort of went, well, well, the buyers and the tenants aren't bothered. So who cares? Fine, we get an EPC, inconsequential. And of course, they knew right from the start that they were going to start making um, it mandatory for you to to reach a certain EPC level, an E, um, in order to rent the property out, which they did. Uh, and, of course, that little sort of uh, thread in my brain started growing. Uh, and I thought, well, it won't be an E forever, will it? It will be something else. And lo and behold, they've announced now, I think it's 2030, you're going to need to reach a C or above. Um, and uh, in order to do that, some properties, if, you, if you've got a D, it might, it might not make that much difference. You know, you spend a few quid. But quite a few of them, um, I've been looking at some of ours, even even stuff that was built in the 80s. Um, you know, you could be looking at four, five, six, seven thousand pounds to get it to a C, after which it becomes illegal to rent it out. And that's millions of pounds across the board, isn't it? Across the whole country. Billions. Yeah. yeah. Sneaky, that. But. Well, that, I suppose that was the intention right from the start. Mm. And oh. the same on commercial buildings as well. Right. Yeah. How long was that when you started initially having that thought process? I don't know, years ago when they brought the EPC in and then I started you can if you start doing Google searches you can you can see, you know, there'd be the odd statement or a consultation or something like that. Mm. And it's not law but they're thinking about it, but you can just the the, the point is everything I've developed um in the last sort of three, four years, I've insisted that we get a C or better. Yeah. Uh, because I just know we're going to be back round there needing to do a load of stuff mm. uh, unless unless it reaches that. Um, so is that yeah. how you do buildings in general? You always go slightly above the required standard, or is it only certain things that you can see? I think it's with? certain things, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, if you go above the required standard on everything, then you probably never make any money, That's and it, it won't work. Yeah. So, um, you know, you, you look at the threats, don't you? And I, th- I think that is a a clear and present threat mm-hmm. um so you know you do you, you do the extra you, you spend the money um okay. but um it just depends i mean you know fire safety uh do everything do it to the letter um make yeah. sure you know be, you know someone someone end up hurt 
um, you know, you've got that on your conscience, good chance you'll end up in prison if you own it and you've not done it properly or, you know, done the um, the, the, the sort of re- remediation or the checks afterwards. Um, oh, Grenfell, for example. You know. Yeah, exactly. Um, Grenfell's an interesting one because that isn't just a case of the building regulations being deficient and the standards being deficient at the time. The cladding and the method that they used to um, to apply that cladding to that building didn't meet the building regulations at the time anyway. Oh, right. So it's definitely illegal. Yeah. Is it a cost-saving thing? Uh, it'll be a mixture of cost-saving and um, just lack of knowledge, you know, poor. It, it's a bit of a minefield, all this. You know, you if you get three sort of approved inspectors out to look at a building, they'll often tell you different things because, well, for whatever reason, you know. um, You know, I I suppose it's down to the government to create more clarity, and I think that's what they're trying to do with this um, fire safety order, fire safety bill. Um, You know, and and I suppose people, you know, with Grenfell, that'd be a mixture of that. And then also they'll go and buy cladding in, um, the manufacturer will say, yeah, it's fine, but it wasn't necessarily fine in that application. And when applied to other materials on that wall buildup, because it's yeah. not just the type of cladding you put on, mm. it's the whole wall buildup mm. together. So how, how does that material work with the other materials? And then, you know, has there been a change and someone's decided, oh, we'll we use that cladding and someone in the office just decides they're going to sort of do something else, you know, innocently. Mm. But there, it's not properly followed up on and, and checked afterwards. The, the system is pretty broken because um, when you look up and down the country, it's widespread. This has gone on, you know, in buildings that have had cladding since 2000, it, all up and down the country. I mean, this is billions and billions of pounds. They're being mm-hmm. stripped off at the moment. There's all these people who live in flats. They can't sell the flats. Um, and, I mean, the government, I think they put aside five billion to sort this. It won't even scratch the surface. Mm-hmm. It's massive. Um, so... I mean, what can people do then to protect themselves? Is it just to try and be as diligent as they can with with everything they're doing? Or? Well, they'll already be protected now because yeah. everyone knows what's going on. So mm. if they're buying with a mortgage, yeah. um, they need an EWS1 survey on the building, mm-hmm. which we have to get done on ours. Um, and in there, it, 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 it basically should say whether it's compliant or not. Right. If, if that survey hasn't been done, their mortgage lender very high chance the mortgage lender won't lend on the property and they can't buy it. Right. Um, so the way through this is EWS1 survey. Do you love all this sort of stuff? Well, I'm forced down this road to, <laughs> if, if I don't understand it, then I, I just end up with buildings that yeah. I can't let out, aren't compliant, won't refinance, and it will cost me millions of pounds. So who is ultimately responsible? Is it you? The freeholder is responsible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's in your best interest to learn this stuff and... Yeah. Uh, so, you know, people reading this blog will get some important things, but is there anywhere that you look for this information for, for everything um, related? Well, it, uh, we have a really good architect, yeah. um, and he will get uh, our approved inspector, mm-hmm. who he, he is good. They've, they've actually since got another guy in who I would say studies these rules and sort of the changes mm. um, and he, he's very sort of on point with it all. So I would talk to those two mainly and then there's an e, there's a building surveyor who comes around and does the EWS1 survey. So I talk to him as well and then the other set that have got eyes all over it are the building insurers uh, and we've got two different building insurers at the moment on our bigger buildings and they have specific surveyors that come round and inspect these buildings and Almost the only the, the main thing they're looking at is just the wall build-up, the cladding, balconies, uh, and roof roof material and membrane. Mm. Um, so then you talk to them. So on a building that we're doing at the moment, because it's all a bit grey and because it's all a bit of a mess, I mean, it, the way the building regulations are at the moment, mm-hmm. if it's less than 18 metres, you can basically put petrol on the walls. Mm. Um, you know, it, you allow combustible material, which is clearly wrong. Mm. Um, and... Clearly not a good idea. It's a and broken system for sure. Yeah, not a good idea. And um, you'll never you'll never sort of get away with it in terms of the insurers and the lenders anyway. So you can't really rely on the building regulations for buildings under 18 metres. So what do you do? Well, you go to the architect and he's like, well, 
these are the building regulations. They'll let you build like this, but I can tell you, you're going to have a lot of trouble from the insurers and the lenders. So you go to the lenders, and the last one I went to basically said, if the insurer's happy, we're happy. Because they don't give you a straight answer, because I'm not sure they wholly know themselves. So for me, it, it does boil down to the insurers. So we've gone to the two big insurers that we use, um, and uh, you know, obviously the, the the sort of underwriters in the office they they can't give you an answer. It's the surveyor that they use um, who who comes around and, and sort of checks all this. And I've met these two individuals for these two insurers that that come round. Um, and basically, on our latest project, I've sent them all the wall build ups, uh, both of them. Um, and you know, with the second one who doesn't insure the building. It's a bit of a sort of battle to get him to say anything, but he has in the end because, you know, we're thinking about moving over to him. And they basically signed off all the wall build-ups and the right. um, the, the cladding. Mm. Um, so, you know, most of this stuff is about problem solving because um, you're just in no man's land at the moment. Um, in five years, this will all be settled. You know, the, the, yeah. there'll be it'll there'll be clarity in the building regulations. The the lenders won't be so jumpy about it, um, and it'll all be dealt with. But um, there'll be something yeah. else, though, won't there? The, the, always is. So, yeah. you know, from that perspective, would you say it's fair to say that, you know, as one as one person who has lots to do, you can't know everything. You can't know every law. Impossible. So, you know, would you say? having allies, networking, knowing who to speak to, who yeah, to trust. That's what you're doing all day. You're yeah. going to the the expert in that, that really specific area because, mm. you know, I suppose like any industry, property is massive. Mm. It's absolutely huge. So um, I usually just know where to go to get the answer. And, and that's what I'm doing, problem solving, fixing these issues and challenges and by going to the relevant expert. Um and that, yeah, that goes on sort of every, every week because every time there's an, a new issue and it's slightly different, uh, but you just know who usually who, or if you often, you know, I've come up a lot against a lot of stuff, so I know how to fix stuff now. But um, Well, sometimes you're the guy that people ask, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, um, I mean, that goes, um, we don't really need to talk about this particularly, but Jess, maybe something to, a rabbit hole to go down <clears> into is that... Um, it's important to have networking right from the beginning. You know, Mark is working on massive projects, but, you know, even by to lets and HMOs and things, knowing who to talk to and the right uh, expertise to go to, that's all, you know, extremely relevant. It, it is very relevant. I mean, if you're doing individual houses and, and flats, um, licensing is a bigger and bigger issue. Um, you know, in, in our town, we at the moment, we have uh, licensing only on HMOs. We used to have licensing on single lets in lots of areas as well, right. but that, that scheme has, has since lapsed. Mm. Um, I would be very surprised if the council don't reintroduce another scheme for single lets uh, around the town. Uh, and they're, they're going through everything. So, you know, they're, they're looking at sort of room sizes. They're looking at, um, you know, the, the, the size of lounges, kitchens, uh, worktop space, mm. how many sinks, how many... Um, cupboards in the in the kitchens, um, you know, what sort of windows are in there? Uh, is the heating system uh, sufficient? Is it programmable? Um, there's, there's a lot of stuff that they're looking at like that. So, um, and and of course, as part of that, they're then going to make sure that you've got your um, electrical safety check done uh, and any gas safety check, and then EPC. Is it an E or better? But you know, will will be a C. Um, you know, so all that sort of feeds in. So I suppose, um, you know, from a, a sort of, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't call it a selfish point of view, but from a sort of, uh, from, from our point of view, mm. uh, in some ways it's quite good because those sort of, you know, landlords who aren't compliant, mm-hmm. um, you know, over time, I think they're just weeding them out one by one. So yeah. the reality is there's less rental properties now. George Osborne, you know, increased stamp duty, uh, removed the ability to offset all the mortgage rent. So the reality is rents are rising. You know, rents have probably risen maybe 30% in the last, I don't know, four or five years. Around so here. a good thing for people that are doing it correctly, you know? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, and, and there's often an upside to this. You can immediately see the downside. Yeah. But um, if you get on the right side of the council and learn exactly what they want, mm-hmm. um, in the end, it works. Yeah. 
um, and it should drag should drag these areas up. Mm. Um, yeah. So the new 40-year mortgage with no early repayment fee, could homeowners end up spending more over the long term? Well, I think it's a virtual guarantee that they're going to spend more over the long term Mm. with a product like that. Uh, It's called insurance, um, and that's what a fixed rate is. Um, You know, I've looked at that product. It's from Kensington. um, And, you know, the rates, I think, were in the sort of two-and-a-half-plus range, but I think more more common would be three, three and a half percent plus. You can go and get a variable rate mortgage at the moment um, for, you know, I don't know, maybe mid one, one and a half percent, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barclays are doing, uh, and, and quite a few of them are doing sort of five year fixes still at about one point five, six, wow. seven, ten year fixes. My friend's just taken one out at two percent. I think Barclays are still doing them about one point six, one point seven. So, would I take a 10-year – this is the thing. It, that question is is fine. However, unless I know what the rate of the mortgage is, right, yeah, the period – and this is what people forget all the mm. time. Oh, should I take a fixed rate or a, or, a, or a variable rate? Well, how long is it and what's the rate? If it's a two-year fix mm-hmm. and you're paying 4% and you can get a variable rate for two years at one3 then of course you take the variable because what you what you're what you're asking effectively is are interest rates or is base rate because they're usually linked to base rate is base rate going to be 2.7% more on average mm. for the next 2 years well the likelihood of that is absolutely tiny yeah. so i think it's important to um you know to, to to look at all that but yeah would i take a a Barclays or HSBC or NatWest RBS um, or Nationwide Mortgage sort of 10-year fix at maybe 2% or a 40-year fix at 3.5%, I'd take the 10-year fix mm. for two reasons. A, and, and this is this is another element that you, you know, is unknown here, but I suspect, you know, it will be punitive. If there were there are likely to be early redemption penalties with the forty year mortgage. Mm-hmm. Um, are you going to stay in that house for the next forty years? Um, very unlikely. Uh, on average, people stay in a house for seven years. Mm-hmm. So when you move, um, you're likely to want to pay that mortgage back, and you're going to be penalised for doing that. Uh, so it depends what the early redemption penalties are. are they three percent, four percent, five percent. Some of these products are portable, which means you can take it to the next property, Correct. but does the lender accept that property type? Are they happy with the loan to value on that property? You know, and it's a good excuse for them then to say, no, we're not allowing you to port it. So stay where you are or pay us back. Mm-hmm. So would I want the inflexibility of a, a mortgage for the next 40 years that I might not be able to port, even though I say they say you can? Um, you know, and I'm definitely paying, um, I don't know, say 2.5% more than the odds at the moment. For, for a 10-year rate, um, no, I wouldn't do that. Um, but um, if they're offering a 40-year mortgage at 2%, uh, yeah, do a 40-year fix at 2%, yeah, I'd, I'd do it. Do you think that's likely, though? No, I don't <laughs> think it's likely. The, the best rate, the best rates are not with the likes of Kensington. Yeah. Um, Kensington are a, um, were a subprime borrower, mm. sorry, a subprime lender. A uh, little bit like Oldermore, Shawbrook, they do more specialised uh, lending, uh, but because of that, the rates are much higher. Of um, if you can sort of work to get yourself into a position where the likes of Barclays, NatWest, HSBC, Nationwide, maybe Clydesdale, will take you on, they will offer you the best rates. Mm. The reason for that is they're the ma- major clearing banks. They are all their funds are or, or, or the funds that they're lending out are ring fenced. So these are funds that borrowers are putting into savings accounts, um, and they these banks can do a v- very li- limited things with those funds. Um, you know, prior to the credit crunch, they could put them on the money markets and you know invest in all sorts of derivatives and 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 make a lot more with them. Now they're not allowed to. They're allowed to do a very limited number of things. And, and the main one is lend it out on residential mortgages. Mm-hmm. So all that's done is is make the margin and the competitiveness, because there's all this massive amount of savers money in these clearing banks, 
not the likes of Kensington, who will probably have to raise their money on the money markets, which costs a lot more. But the lenders that I've mentioned before, the, the rates they offer are much, much lower. Uh, and, you know, I think this was a function of what Gordon Brown started after the credit crunch. Um, it's been a great thing. Um, and, you know, God, who wouldn't want a 10-year fixed rate at below 2%. Mm. You know, I'll, I'll take that all day long. In fact, during COVID, I think that was, de- was down about 1.7. Right. In fact, I could do a five-year fix at about 1.35 mm. with Barclays during COVID. I'd e- eat that up all day long. Does that actually help your any of your business at all? Um, well, it helps me on my own home. Um, no, I can't borrow those rates <laughs> with, with investment. Yeah. Um it, it helps to some degree. I mean, I like to use those types of banks on our investment loans. Mm-hmm. Rob and I have got a lot of our properties, um, say Lloyd's would, would, would you know, uh, lend on quite a few of them. Um, rates there might be more like, you know, sort of 2.3 to 2.8 plus base. Yeah. Um, variable. Mm-hmm. So it's quite different to residential. Uh, but, you know, their money's probably coming from savers as well. It's relatively cheap. You know, and they're sort of good lenders. You know, they 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 don't treat you unfairly generally. Um, so, I yeah, there is some benefit, isn't there, mm. in um, in 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 you know, in the way they're ring fenced now. Um, it's probably not great for them and their P and L and their no. their, but their balance sheets are absolutely mm. massive. Their the strength, their net worth of those banks is. Um, it, it, it's just grown and grown and grown since the credit crunch. Um, so what the government has done has obviously worked. Um, so just for context, in the last, say, 10 years, yeah. what is sort of the highest average rate you've seen? Like, yeah, that you'd see quite a lot. If it was, when it was it's a high point and then... For it, what? Uh, for lending, for... Um, for what? For your fixed, for fixed term mortgages. What sort of property? What? Um, what let's, let's go with like just normal homes. Shall we start? To, are you living in it? Are you renting it out? Are you developing it? For our customers, let's say uh, renting. So you're... you're you, Buy to let. Yeah. Uh, so the highest rate. Yeah. Um, you, I, you always get odd high ones. Six but, and seven. Okay. And when was yeah, that Yeah, seven roughly? probably. You probably do that now. If, okay. you, if you went to... Um, Hampshire Trust yeah. or Shawbrook or maybe Oldham or one of those types, mm. they're sort of, uh, you know, they used to call them challenger banks. Yeah. Um, I think they raise a lot of their capital less from savers, although we do have some savings accounts with Oldham. Um, they seem to raise their money from more expensive sources and they lend in more sort of out-of-the-box circumstances. Oh, right. So you don't yeah? have a lot of choice sometimes. Exactly. So let's say you were doing a serviced accommodation, mm. house of serviced accommodation. Most of these big lenders will just tell you where to go. Mm. So, because they don't, they're not used to or they don't like that tenant type. So you may end up, the only the only place you could go would mm. be one of the ones I've just mentioned, maybe. I'm not saying they, they necessarily do that, but, you know, or maybe your, your credit's a bit impaired um, or something like that, you'll end up with, you know. Or I've seen recently um, retail. Yeah. Um, you know, got friends with a lot of retail. Um, thankfully, we haven't got too much. Um, but, you know, I had Lloyd's out a few months ago and um, he, he had a look around. He said, you know, a lot of your stuff's residential, so it's fine. Uh, but if you had any more than 30% residential in your portfolio, then we'd be having a conversation wow. about, yeah. And I've got a friend who's, their portfolio might be, let's say, 50 shops, mm. almost exclusively uh, retail. And uh, I think they've said to him a few months ago, we want you gone. Um, so they're off to one of those other lenders because a lot of the clearing banks, they won't, won't they, they'll do retail, but it will be a smallish percentage of your portfolio. The mm. loan to value will be pulled right back because I think they're just worried about the values of them dropping and the... Um, that the rent's dropping and voids and all the rest of it. You can understand it. So um, it's, you know, when you get into a circumstance like that, that the the, the sort of um, clearing banks don't want to deal with, you know, another one might be, you know, our project in, um, in town. Uh, could have used a clearing bank on that. Um, uh, you know, they, I'm, I'm sure Lloyd's or, or, or NatWest, well, NatWest weren't happy in the pandemic, but say Lloyd's or, um, I was having a chat with Barclays yesterday. They're, they're back in as well now. Um, they would probably have done it, um, but they would have made us put half the money in 
uh, and that's half of the purchase and all the works. Um, you know, so you, I don't know, on something like that, you know, in very round terms, you you might be talking six million cash mm. going before their money starts, um, and in return, maybe you end up with a rate. I think he was talking yesterday in the fours, yeah, low fours. Um, we didn't want to do that. We'd created a lot of equity. Um, so we went to sort of, you know, maybe more specialist development lenders who charge more. So I think we used UTB, but there'd be another option there. You know, Close Brothers would be very good in that space as well, where they might they might go up to, say, 70 or 80% of cost. So they still want a chunk of your cash in there, but they'll take more of the equity into consideration. I think the loan to GDV is still only 55%, which is pretty, you know, pretty sensible. Um but those guys will charge more like six or seven percent, yeah. Yeah. So you, it, it depends sort of what it is you're doing and um, what you need to achieve. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so second to the last one, developers building thousands of homes on land at risk of flooding. How are homes being granted planning permission in vulnerable areas like this? Do you know anything about that? Well, yeah. I mean, the, there's there's lots of properties being built in sort of you know floodplains or, or areas that have, you know, they're, they're not particularly high um, and susceptible to flooding. Um, you know, some people might sort of increase the finished floor, you know, mm-hmm. levels. Um, that'll obviously be a condition within the planning consent normally. Um, I, this is, you know, this is down to individual planning authorities. The whole planning system in this country is a big web of individual officers and consultees making arbitrary subjective decisions uh, based on whims and sort of what they feel. Mm. Um, So I'm sure this is happening in various areas of the country. Uh, We've experienced flooding, uh, you know, in this last year, we had a sort of flash flood in the middle of town. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we we had a basement flat flooded and and some other areas, a shop. Um, Obviously, you know, most of that stuff was built a long time ago. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm sure there is something in this, um, you know, climate change stuff. Um, there seem to be these extreme weather events, which are more frequent now. Uh, sea levels are obviously rising to some extent. Maybe they haven't risen as much as they're going to. Mm-hmm. Um I, I think there's going to be more and more of this, but clearly councils, local authorities are under huge pressure from central government, um, you know, to, to, you know, in their, in their local plan to, to build mm. more and more or to, to, to consent more and more residential schemes. Mm. Uh, and once you finish with the brownfield sites, i.e. the sites that had previously had buildings on and maybe were less susceptible to flooding, you're off into sort of I don't know greenfield or or secondary type locations where that have been rejected previously, uh, and developers are saying, well, we've got a way around this. We can, you know, look at suds and you know all the we we could maybe sort of uh, introduce a more innovative drainage solution and you know increase the heights and you know we, we all this sort of stuff and some of that works and some of it fails yeah um do you yeah. think there should be a centralized it's probably impossible but do you think there should be a centralized um system for that sort mm. of work like uh, granting permission for you know or just a set way of thinking you know well you've got the environment agency yeah. who would usually be the consultee mm. in such um situations mm. uh but again, you'll you know there'll be regional, so it's down to an, which individual picks it up, and yeah. um, this whole what you're talking about here, this whole sort of you know the planning system. Mm. We, we're unique in this country. Um, I, I think this goes back to I think it was an act in the sixties. Um, you know, the, the, the planning decisions are made usually in the large, you know, in in the main at a local level by individual officers and uh, consultees. Now, in many ways, that's that's the good. That that's if you're lucky. If it goes to planning committee, uh, you, you 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 know you're, you're you're having a scheme decided upon by lay people, councillors, you and I, mm. sitting, um, you know. On, on on the planning committee as a local councillor 
um, obviously they'll have a recommendation from officers to approve or or, or to you know reject a scheme. But um, you know you you in 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 the main it's this sort of subjective you know lack of certainty. You don't really know what's going to happen. In the US, it's 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 quite a, it's a very different system. Um, you have sort of zones where you can build certain types of properties and zones where you can't. Um, and my understanding is when you get into, you know, I want to put this house in that zone, mm. it is a system that is similar to building regulations whereby you go, whereby it says, if you build a house like this, yep. the windows can sort of be this far away from the neighbour, they can be this high, um, you know, the, the property can be this tall, um, you know, you... Uh, it, it just adds a whole load of certainty. Um, mm. it, it's not down to an individual in an office making a subjective decision. It's just a a set of black and white rules. Mm. Um, so my understanding is that, well, Boris said he was going to introduce a similar system here. And I think the uh, Department of Housing, Communities and Local Government have been trying to do such a thing. But... There's been a, a big revolt in the, one of the home counties. Uh, I think they've changed the MP over it. I think a Lib Dem's got in. Um, and I think they're running scared of the whole thing because you've got all these ramblers and the sort of green movement mm-hmm. um, who are really angry about it all because they don't want people, they don't want developers building on their precious green belt, right. greenfield sites, all that sort of stuff. So you can just see that that getting kicked to the curb uh, yeah. or the can getting kicked down the road, just like when Theresa May said she was going to build a load of houses, just like previous to that. So many, you know, maybe they'll do it, but it'd be watered down. So you'll believe it when you see it. Yeah. Mm. I, I think you just sort of let them crack yeah. on. But um, yeah, I I suppose, you know, the Environment Agency do have um, a framework and specific standards that they would insist on. But then... It'll sort of go through an individual and <laughs> they'll write their consultee yeah. responses and sometimes they'll let them do it and sometimes they won't. And then there'll be maybe political pressure for or against and they'll be ringing them up quietly um, and all that stuff goes on in the background. So, um, you know, we've got a quite a big scheme here in Peterborough. Um, I think the I think the university is in a is being built in an area that's susceptible to flooding. And one argument um, about the new potential football stadium that's going to be moved mm-hmm. uh, and built in, in, in an area of Peterborough near the university. Again, apparently that's an area susceptible to flooding and clearly they haven't built on it over the years, mm-hmm. I suspect for that reason. There's a lot of political will to get that done. Do we want a new university here? Do we want a new football ground? Well, I, I obviously think it's great. I'm, I'm conflicted. Um, but, you know, do I want 10,000 students here? Yeah, I'd love it. Um, for the obvious reasons. I also don't live here. Um, there you go. Yeah. But, um, yeah, of course. I'd love, th- I'd love the whole town to be full of students and to be uh, really vibrant, you know, spending more money. And, um, and of course, a brand new stadium. How can that be a bad thing? Mm. Um, but, you know, some would argue, well, those those properties are going to be susceptible to flooding and, you know, but they're commercial buildings. Um, Mm. You know, if the freeholder, if the owners want to take them on and pay the, pay an insurer to take that risk on, well, so be it. Um, You know, sort of what's the issue? Uh, And they'll, they'll, they'll they'll make them build them high. You know, they'll, Mm. they'll have to put a load of material in Mm. to increase the, the floor heights. Um, and if they can meet those standards, then why not? Yeah. Yeah. Is commercial governed in the same way as um, smaller properties? Well, it goes through the same planning process. It does. Okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was only looking at a scheme over in Fenland, sorry, over in Fengate yeah. in Peterborough. Uh, again, that's got similar issues. Mm. Um, and you can see on, on the condition there, the Environment Agency have basically said all finished floor heights must be, you know, something like two point five meters over some datum point mm. um you know it, it um it is important mm. you know flooding is a big thing when it happens it's it, it's seriously expensive uh, and causes serious problems did it cost you a lot of money in town when it flash flooded well with 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 one unit it 
uh, I think I think this basement flat we've got is probably costing sixty grand. The insurer's really? covering it, but there's all the loss of rent mm. and everything like that. So I don't know. That claims might be eighty grand. Yeah. It's just one flat. And that was what two hours of raining. Probably, yeah, like but it, it just went. It, yeah. it went really high. Um, it didn't have to go in the flat. Mm. Uh, the door was shut, and you know our cleaner, who's brilliant. Uh, went over there and locked the door and said to the tenants very clearly, do not open the door because yeah. all the water will come in. Um, so when she went, they unlocked the door and they opened the door uh, and all the water went in uh, and then it ruined all their stuff. Um, so, yes, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's a problem, isn't it? Mm. Um, uh, and then in another building, um, it caused a lot of damage to a retail unit on the ground floor. Uh, and they went berserk, mm-hmm. obviously sort of tried to blame it on us. Um, it um, it lifted uh, a, a, a drain cover in their, in their shop. Oh, really? Yeah. So it came through there and came through a, um, a, um, a, a, a pipe which was dealing with surface water drainage coming off our roof mm. uh, that was inside the building. That came apart and went into their retail That's space, and and also went into a lot of our apartments. Mm. Um, so the insurers dealt with it. It's not a massive claim. I think the insurers paying out twenty three grand or something. Mm. Uh, but that was the M and E contractor yeah. who's footing his insurer because he put the pipe in without a clip, uh, and they accepted liability. So that's being dealt with. But that all came off the back of that. Mm. I mean, Astor over the road. It, apparently, there was like a foot of water in Asda. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh. And this was all after, I don't know, three hours of rain. Mm. And then it stopped and it was all fine the next day. It was just bizarre. It's too expensive. Okay, last one. Um, UK inflation set to rise. How can people protect their investment, property, savings and pension? So it's very topical, this inflation stuff at the moment. Um, and inflation obviously is rising. Um, I, I, I can't remember what the, the last... Um, set of figures to come out, but let's say we're at about 4%, something like that, double the target. Um, But we've been through a period where since March uh, 2020, where factories, businesses have been shut, Um, they have not been supplying, they've not been producing materials, goods, services, uh, and now everything's open, there is demand for them, huge demand, and lots of people have saved lots of money. So surely... You know, a supply-side shock, that, you know, is, is what we are um, encountering at the moment. Surely this is a classic example of a supply-side shock. Um, does that mean that inflation is embedded and has, has, um, has, has sort of transferred into core prices and got into this, got into this vicious circle of, generating massive wage increases uh, and therefore pushing the cost of raw materials up, which goes around in another big circle like the 70s. No, we're not there yet. Um, if you watch the inflation report every quarter that comes out from the, the Bank of England, the governor, it's, you know, he, he says a lot about this. Uh, you know, I think one of the key points that he made in the last inflation report was the equilibrium rate um, of interest has not moved, um, you know, in in the last sort of quarter or six months. So what he's basically saying is, yes, inflation's gone up quite a lot. He thinks that's because of this supply side shock. Factories get rolling, services, you know, and, and all the businesses they're all open, so they clear the backlogs, and therefore price rises fall back. Uh, therefore, I- inflation goes back over the over the um, sort of expected time horizon, which I think their time horizon might be sort of 18 months, two years, back to the 2% target. And he's also saying that the equilibrium rate of interest hasn't therefore changed. So he's, he's expecting that uh, interest rates should be still, you know, something like below 1% um, once this is sort of passed through. Now, does that mean interest rates stay at 1%? No, because the picture's constantly moving. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll we'll get back, or they were trying to get back to maybe two percent, but it's going to take a while to do that. But you know, our interest rates at the moment expected to soar up to five, six, seven percent. No, we're not there yet. Um, and um, you know, the media love getting on to things like this, but 
you probably noticed as the inflate as inflation pressures subside, they don't sort of come back on and go, oh, that inflation risk has gone away. Uh, they just talk about the next sort of thing that will grab your attention, like 30 odd people dying in the channel last night. Um, so um, I think it's important to look at the context of this and the uh, look at the sort of global picture. Uh, and by the way, this is not UK specific. This is US. Uh, I think inflation in US is, is touched 6% uh, and Europe as well. Uh, I think interest rates are more likely to rise further and earlier in the US than in the UK. And in the EU, they're talking about very little um, in terms of interest rate rises. Uh, they've got still problems and, you know, dampeners on growth, stodgy labour markets, um, lots of debt, you know. It's um, more problems in, in, in Europe and they're, they're just slower economies. They're, they're less dynamic. Um, so how can people protect their investments, property savings and pension? Well, I think you need to buy real assets. Um, so, you know, you buy property that goes up should over the long term beat the increases should beat the, the rate of inflation. Um, clearly, money in a, a savings account or in the bank is a bad idea. Uh, borrowing money at these rates is usually a good idea if you're paying 2% and the rate of inflation is 3 or 4 the bank is paying you 1 or 2% per annum to borrow that money. Uh, and the way you get paid that money is the real value of that debt over the years erodes, it, it reduces. So if I borrow £100,000 today, just pay interest only, uh, payments on it, don't pay any of the £100,000 off. In 20 years' time, the real value of that mortgage might be £50,000. So £50,000 has been paid off by far the time, otherwise known as inflation. So it has the opposite effect on borrowed money. So buying properties and, and borrowing money against them is, is, is a great way to um, hedge yourself against inflation. Pensions can go into uh, property. Uh, oh, the, the other area to invest, clearly equities. You know, open an account at Hargreaves, Lansdowne, Vanguard, just buy tracker funds, spread it around, wouldn't buy too many individual shares. Um, over time, equity should exceed the rate of inflation, income and capital all rolled up. Um, so, yeah, clearly the message hasn't really changed there, get into real assets rather than cash. Cash.